Welcome to Race and Democracy, a podcast on the intersection between race, democracy, public policy, social justice, and citizenship. Welcome to Race and Democracy. Uh, We're excited today to have Dr. Kevin Coakley, who is director of the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis at the University of Texas at Austin with us. Uh, Professor Coakley is also the Oscar and Ann Mousey Regents Professor for Educational Research and Development and UT System Distinguished Teaching Professor and Professor of Educational Psychology and African and African Diaspora Studies. So welcome, Professor Coakley. Thank you, Dr. Joseph to race and democracy. Um, I want you to talk about the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis. On campus, we call it IUPRA, but um, IUPRA has been doing really amazing things and research related to the city of Austin and really inequality. And, and at Race and Democracy, we're always interested in inequality and the connection, race, class, gender, intersectional justice. And IUPRA has um, released a series of reports on everything from Austin and gentrification to right now the AISD school systems and the different schools and areas that are slated for for closure. We're not sure if it's going to happen, but how sort of race and class are connected to where where schools that have been targeted for closure. Right. You know who lives there. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of lily white um, right. school districts that have been um, targeted for for closure. So I want a, a big picture of what IUPRA does, and then really get a little bit more detailed into some of these recent reports. Yeah, well, well, well thank you for having me. Um, so IUPRA um, is, is essentially a, a black policy institute. Um, it is part of um, black studies here at the University of Texas, which, of course, consists of an academic department, um, which is the African and African Diaspora Studies Department. Um, we have the Warford Center for African and African American Studies, um, IUPRA, of course, and then we have... Uh, the art galleries. And, you know, it, we really consider ourselves to be fairly unique in the country in that, to our knowledge, um, there's only one other um, black studies unit in the country that, that has four units um, such as ours. And, and having black, sort of having an emphasis on uh, policy is a pretty unique feature of, of black studies. And so we're, we're particularly proud of that. Um, our Really, our origin started from... Um, the involvement of the Texas Legislative Black Caucus, um, where they really wanted to be able to turn to um, some um, academic unit to help provide them with research and data to help advance their um, legislative agenda. And so it was through the efforts of um, the Black Caucus, along with then-President Bill Powers, that they sort of got together and, and really sort of thought of this entity that we now call um, IUPRA. And, so, and you talked about black policy. I want to I want to sure. stop you there for a second, because when we think I, I teach at a policy school here at LVJ mm-hmm. School and, and run the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy. A lot of times we don't connect um, the struggle for black freedom and black citizenship to policy, but we really should. You know, and I write Absolutely. about this in the work I do. So what, what are the tangible connections between the black community and public policy, both in Austin and nationally? Well, I mean, if, if you. If you think about it, like every aspect of our lives um, is impacted by policy, you know, whether you're talking about education, criminal justice, health, um, you know, economics, uh, housing, uh, which, you know, happen to be the areas that we tend to sort of focus on. All of those areas are impacted by policy. And when you're talking about issues of equity, which, of course, is what we sort of focus on, um, where you see some of the most 
um, inequitable, unfair um, sort of uh, treatments of, of folks of color and black folks in particular is in the decisions that are made around policy. And so we believe that, you know, one of the ways that you really sort of um, impact and improve the lives of black folks is at the policy level. And so what we try to do is to draw attention to those, um, you know, policies and practices, but policies in particular, that we believe disproportionately um, sort of impact and marginalize um, black folks. And so that's that's sort of where we, we focus. And we do that um, primarily through the area of research, whether it's um, writing policy briefs, legislative reports. Um, we also do a fair number of um, op-eds. Um, and, more, and, and what we really hope to accomplish is to have our research be used by those constituents and those entities to sort of help advance their sort of um, advocacy efforts. And, and I have to sort of say this, um, you know, as a research institute, we are not an advocacy organization. Um, you know, I think oftentimes people, when they sort of look to us, um, they expect us to, to be an advocacy organization. But, you know, we can't. And, we're you know, we are always reminded that, you know, being part of um, a state sort of you know, publicly supported institution, we cannot sort of be seen to be explicit advocates of any sort of position. So what we do is we provide people research and data and they can take it and use it for whatever ends. And of course, we'd like to see it be used towards the ends of social justice. On that score, gentrification, I'd love to talk to you about that. Because when we think about uh, gentrification in Austin and Ayupra's uh published a series of reports, including some by Eric Tang, mm-hmm. who's a professor in ads, that really sort of break down, one, the history of racial segregation in the city of Austin and sort of this, um, you know, this I-35 divide in terms of East Austin versus West Austin and other parts of Austin. But really, over the last 15 years, the way in which East Austin has really been a site of major and massive um, investment, investment by private capital, uh, investment by um, homeowners and and uh, gentrifiers. The ho- neighborhoods are being cleared out of indigenous African American and Latinx mm-hmm. um, residents who some have gone to Pflugerville, some have left the state, some have certainly left Travis County. Um, and you've you've sort of published these reports that really show this stark um, inequity uh, yeah. in in how the the East Austin is being gentrified. I'd love to talk about. Well, that. you know, and in you know. All credit goes to Dr. Eric Tang. Um, as you know, we have um, what we refer to as um, faculty fellows and associates. And these are individuals that we've identified whose research um, really sort of supports the mission of, of our institute. And and Dr. Tang has been one of our most active faculty fellows. And so he approached us um, with this idea of really sort of examining this area, this um, issue of gentrification, and and we sort of supported him, um, sort of materially, to sort of be able to go and do that research. And so I just want to, you know, be clear that 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 really was, you know, something that he approached us with, and we supported him fully. Um, but as you well know, um, what he uncovered through his series of reports really um, made national news, and it shook up people here in Austin because there really had not been attention focused on. How Austin, even though it is, you know, sort of, you know, um, sort of positioned as this very sort of um, 
really growing, burgeoning sort of liberal progressive city. Um, and in, in many ways it is, but that for African-Americans, you see a very sort of different story, particularly in terms of um, the decision to sort of leave Austin for various reasons. And in his series of reports, he uncovered um, really something that had not been explicitly um, discussed and, and it made the city of Austin have to sort of address um, some of the uncomfortable truths that he he uncovered. You know, so for example, when you look at, um, we know we know about the housing situation. We know that housing in, in Austin is incredibly uh, expensive, unaffordable for, for many um, communities. It's, it's been especially um, difficult for, for Black and Latinx, Latinx folks. And when you look at the situation of education, as you sort of pointed out, the divide of I-35, we see that um, Black folks have had to um, make some very difficult decisions about whether they should stay um, in their homes that are increasingly becoming too expensive to afford because of property taxes, because of gentrification, as you've mentioned, um, and having to sort of make the difficult decision to to leave schools that generations of families had, had attended uh, because they simply cannot afford um, the property taxes. Not to mention the um, achievement gap that has long persisted in these schools and, and not feeling that their kids were getting, you know, the same type of quality education as kids in, in other areas. Um, not to mention what we also know to be the sort of um, dis- disparate treatment by law enforcement. Um, so these are the sort of the, some of the issues that Dr. Tang uncovered in his reports that all contributed to really this exodus of black folks from Austin proper to, you know, some of the areas that you sort of mentioned, Pflugerville, Round Rock, et cetera. Now, when we think about the University of Texas, what do you feel about University of Texas and its historic role um, in creating uh, racial segregation, economic segregation and inequality? Because I think one of the ironies of IUPRA and ADS um, and really all the faculty of color here is that UT has a long history of racial segregation, at least pre-1950. And even after 1950, when we think about human uh, sweat mm-hmm. and we think about the founding of ads in 1969, just the segregation in dorms, um, disallowing African-Americans to be uh, part of athletics. When we think about the first mm-hmm. black players, late 60s, early 70s, people like Earl Campbell. Right. Um, so, you know, how, how does the community feel about the the university and what do you think about the university's role now trying to leverage its resources towards like you said not advocacy but really brutal truths that are uncovered by the research because the research um, in and of itself um, exposes and illustrates right. these inequalities these power differentials and this structural um, and institutional racism right. well I mean I, you, you've really sort of you know already answered your, your question I mean UT um, not unlike uh, you know other um, large public urban schools, um, does not enjoy um, a very ne- good reputation amongst bl- um, Black and Latinx, Latinx folks, particularly I, I would say you know Black folks, but you know Latinx folks as well. Um, I've been here since two thousand and seven, and when I you know arrived here with my with my um, partner, you know we heard stories about how the Black community um, here really looked at UT very suspiciously, very skeptically. Um, there, you know, for those who've, who've been longtime uh, residents here, um, they remember the stories. They they remember all the examples that you provided about how UT systematically discriminated against black folks, you know, was not welcoming towards black folks. And the community has long memories. And so 
what UT has had to do, um, you know, has been to really try to um, demonstrate that it really has taken those its, its history seriously and wants to sort of repair, um, or at least, sort of, yeah, to repair its image in the community. So when you talk about the DDCE, the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement, I think that was created, I think, in part to try to really um, bridge the gap between the university and the community to so, to improve um, the public relations, if you will. Um, now, how successful that has been, um, I, you know, I think that probably you would have to sort of ask the community um, um, itself. I suspect that we still have a long ways to go. I think UT is still sort of seen as that entity across, you know, sort of 35 that has sort of encroached upon or increasingly encroached upon spaces that have um, traditionally, historically been populated by by black folks and, and Latinx folks. And that has not done, that has not helped its um, attempt to try to repair and rehabilitate its image. I want to talk about uh, schools because uh, one thing that um, IUPA recently published, which I was really impressed by, was this idea of, um, and there's a brief using data to inform the AISD mm-hmm. school changes strategy. And for people who don't know, AISD is the Austin Independent School District uh, right here. Um, and when we think about, um, there's 12 uh, announced school closures. And according to the brief, um, uh, over 4,000 students will be displaced. Mm-hmm. But nine of the 12, which is 75%, nine of the 12 mm-hmm. closing schools carry student bodies that are predominantly economically disadvantaged. Um, 130 out of every 1,000 black students will be displaced. 89 out of every 1,000 Latinx students will be displaced. 41 out of every thousand white students will be displaced. So I think this is extraordinary, especially since black and Latinx students account for 62% of the AISD population, Mm -hmm. but 80% of the students who are going to be displaced. So I want us to talk about that. And, you know, what do those findings mean in terms of Austin, especially this city, um, like you said, has this image of itself as this progressive and this right. liberal city. But when we think about policies and policies of disadvantagement and and that marginalized folks ac- across race and class lines, it seems like black and Latinx folks are, are um, really disadvantaged in this city, especially those who don't have the degrees and the access that 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 people like uh, us are fortunate right. to enjoy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've Again, you sort of, you know, hit the nail on the head. When we, we didn't start the year planning on doing research on this issue of sort of school closures. Um, what we did decide to do was to focus this year on education. As I mentioned, we have, you know, about five core areas of um, work that we sort of do. And education, you know, certainly being one of my specialty areas is, is one that we decided we would focus on for this year. Um, and, and it just so happened that, you know, the school closures issue coincided with our decision to sort of focus on education. So it was ra- rather serendipitous that it all sort of came together. Um, and we had new staff in place. Um, you know, doc, um, he's not doctor yet, but, uh, you know, our research associate, Ricky Lowe, uh, was someone who, um, you know, was a very sort of skilled um, demographer and statistician. Um, we hired a new policy coordinator, um, Annika Olson, who you know came to us from Georgetown University with a, a good background in public policy and, and psychology. And and the two of them together sort of, you know, really sort of latched onto this issue. And it has been 
amazing in terms of the work that they've done. As you sort of pointed out, they have produced a series of briefs, infographics, op-eds, um, and what and what really sort of I think uh, motivated them to to be so energetic about this is their repeated sort of um, meetings with with community members. They would go to, into the community. They were listening to um, the reactions of the community who felt, you know, in some ways almost like, you know, helpless. Um, like, you know, they're, you know, essentially being told we're going to close these these 12 schools. And as you sort of pointed out through the um, statistics that disproportionately impact black and Latinx and, and, dis, um, and economically disadvantaged students. And, and there was just, you know, just a... a a groundswell of emotion around this this sort of event, and it, what it did was it, it ripped off the bandaid of old wounds that have existed for many many years around this disparate treatment of you know these black and Latinx families, and 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 part of what we wanted to do uh, with the the briefs in particular was was to sort of slow the process down. Um, attending the the meetings listening to the community and listening to the the rationale being you know offered by AISD um officials it became apparent that um things were being rushed um that and they weren't necessarily being informed by research and so what what Ricky and Annika did was they put together you know these briefs and in the brief that you referred to they had two specific recommendations one they said look slow down like why there's no need to sort of rush this vote um there's too much that we don't know so slow it down and then and again we are a research institute refer to what we know through the research what does the research say about school closures and what they sort of pointed to and they provided a number of different um uh, references is that research on school closures has by and large not shown it to be an effective sort of you know policy. Um, so if you're going to make such a drastic change that impacts the lives of so many people, at least be informed by what research says will be the likely outcome. And that's what they did. And and I think that they, by sort of doing this research, really empowered the community to take it and to sort of be able to sort of articulate its own sort of positions around, you know, let's not sort of rush into this process and let's sort of be more mindful about its disparate impact. Now, you said this year, IUPRA is focusing on education. What what other themes are coming out of education in addition to AISD and these school closures? Well, that, I mean, that has been the, the, the primary theme. I will sort of add, and you would be interested, I think, in hearing this. I took a special interest in the issue of, of, of African-American studies. And as you probably, you know, are well aware of, um, there was an, a very important um, vote that took place uh, or that's going to take place on um, implementing or incorporating African-American studies in, in K-12 education. Yes. And that has been a very, uh, it's a very historically significant um, um, sort of a moment. Um, as you know, um, last year, Mexican-American studies was uh, approved. And so so the issue, I think, for us um, was not so much about whether this proposal will, will get approved. Um, we feel very confident that it will get approved but the real issue comes into it w- is in what form how will it be um what will african american studies look like in k-12 education and it was brought to to my attention and to the attention of some other concerned folks that there was this this effort that was going to take place that would you know what i would sort of characterize as as watered down um you know some of the 
ways in which, you know, some of the hard truths about our history will be t- taught to students. So, for yeah. example, the issue of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, you know, there are folks out there who believe that, you know, slavery should be taught in a way that does not, you know, you know, blame people. That doesn't ruffle feathers. That, that doesn't ruffle. Exactly. So they're going to whitewash our history of racial well, slavery. Exactly. <laughs> and, and these are people who are, you know, in a position of, of, of making these sort of decisions. And so, um, you know, a group of us, you know, who sort of, you know, we sort of got together. We wrote a letter, I guess a, a letter you can, you can call it, to sort of address some of these concerns. I, along with um, Dr. Barry and, and Dr. Anthony and Catherine Brown, among several other folks, um, offered um, public testimony to sort of talk about, one, the importance of making sure that this proposal gets, you know, sort of, you know, accepted. Uh, and I specifically addressed the 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 sort of dangers of of make of politicizing it and 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 making sure that it's not sort of taught in a way that whitewashes or really de- tries to sort of uh, make people sort of feel less bad about the horrors of, of, of slavery so so anyway to answer your question that is the other sort of area of education that you know, I personally am very sort of invested in because, as you sort of pointed out, I have a joint appointment in in Black Studies, African and African Diaspora Studies, as well as as educational psychology, and I've been a long-standing member of the National Council of Black Studies. So, so the way that African American Studies is taught um, in K to twelve education here in Texas is of particular interest to me, both personally and professionally. Where do you see IUPRA um, in the next several years in terms of uh, policy areas that IUPRA will focus on? And really, um, for for Black people in Austin, what are some of these policy, not just areas, but potential policy solutions um, over the next five years? And it's really related to all those issues that we've talked about, you know, obviously education, but gentrification, housing, healthcare. Uh, K through 12 education, all these different things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the goal is to sort of eventually sort of not be needed again, not not be needed. In other words, we would like to sort of be able to contribute research in a way that would uh, impact policies that no longer create inequitable outcomes. And so, you know, now that's somewhat of a, a utopic sort of vision. So we, I suspect, we'll be in business for <laughs> for quite a while. Um, if I could just offer one specific example, that's that's very sort of um, salient now, um, is the issue of sort of criminal justice. And so I'm sure you have been following what's been happening. Um, you know, I think there was uh, last night. I think there was a meeting at city hall at um, I think city hall around um, allegations of racism with APD and. Um, this this is something that you know I have uh, written about you know just in terms of sort of my my public scholarship for for a few years and we know that there has been a history of a, a very sort of contentious unfortunate sort of um, dynamic between communities of color and law enforcement and what we are seeing happening currently with um, the Austin Police Department and allegations of racism is is very very disturbing. And what I would like to see happen, at least in terms of sort of IUPRA's involvement, is to really be able to sort of contribute to that conversation and 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 help to sort of provide um, some sort of um, basis for which they can make 
policy changes um, within their departments and and in their um, practices and procedures. Uh, we're I think we're just sort of at the beginning of that now. I mean, Austin has, as you well know, has had a long history of of issues with law enforcement. So this is I mean, so this issue is not new, um, but I think it's sort of gotten to a fever pitch with these very, very explicit allegations of, of, of racism and, and document it. And so it's going to be interesting to see how APD responds. Um, it's going to be interesting. But as you've heard, you know, there's disagreement about what should be the nature of the response. Um, should we sort of slow, should we stop with the, um, I think the current sort of uh, bringing in of new cadets, um, you know, there's been suggestions that we need to stop all um, attempts to bring in new officers until there's been a thorough investigation of sort of what's going on. And, and of course, APD, as you you know might expect, is not supportive of that because they're already understaffed and would be concerned about the impact of stopping bringing in the new uh, new cadets would have on their ability to effectively um, sort of serve the community. So I would like to see IUPRA uh, be involved in that conversation and 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 contributing some some work that would be useful for people as they sort of make these decisions around sort of community policing. And when you think about not just community policing, but all these other issues of inequity and marginalization that black Austinites um, face uh, as a policy solution, is it um, more community organizing? Is it um, um, promoting more effective local legislation? We think about code next and building codes and yeah. residential codes and housing. Is it is it electing officials? What 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 is it? One to stop the drain that's happening in the city with black flight from mm-hmm. the city, um, but also to to create more equitable communities where black people are and have Austin as a site where black people want to come and not just black people with PhDs and connected to Silicon <laughs> Valley, but just you know the black quotidian. You know, I that that's a that's a difficult question. Um, I think that what has to happen is UT and and the folks you know you know black folks at UT who are in positions to 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 help to to help impact change. We need to be in conversation um, with the community. You know, we've already talked about the history of sort of um, distrust uh, on the part of the community. We need to be part of the solution in in that we can't be seen as, I, in my opinion, we should not be seen as being sort of completely separate and removed from these very real issues that impact really all of us, um, some of us more than others. Um, I think our goal should be to to help to empower the community to to really address and solve these problems themselves. I mean, we, we can't be seen as sort of like coming in and, and having all the answers and, and sort of telling them what to do, but we need to work in concert with them, uh, but with the ultimate goal of empowering them. And and we're starting to see some of that now, particularly I think around the, the school closures issues. But but if we're going to stem this, this sort of um, exodus of, of black folks leaving Austin, it's going to have to come, I think, from the community itself um, being supported by those of us who have who are in the positions of being able to sort of help them um, but being able to sort of provide them the resources that they need to essentially sort of fight the good fight um, but I, I I do think that nothing can nothing 
there will be no changes without the agency of the community and without them sort of leading the efforts with our support on whatever the, the policy issue is and whatever realm we're talking about. All right, we'll end it there on the hopeful, optimistic note of fighting the good fight, um, community empowerment, grassroots struggle, uh, where where scholars and researchers like Dr. Coakley uh, play um, uh, an assistive role and let let uh, community leaders um, and residents decide what to do with the research that they produce um, in service of their own goals right. of citizenship and social justice. So it's been a pleasure, Kevin, Dr. Coakley, my friend, Kevin Coakley, who is the director of the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis here at University of Texas at Austin. He is also the Oscar and Ann Mousey Regents Professor for Educational Research and Development. He's a UT System Distinguished Teaching Professor and Professor of Educational Psychology and African and African Diaspora Studies. Uh, at the University of Texas, one of the leading scholars um, in in the country uh, on these these really important issues of 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 race and education and inequity and democracy. So thank you for joining us here at Race and Democracy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode, and you can check out related content on Twitter at Peniel Joseph. That's P E N I E L J O S E P H. And our website, csrd.lbj.utexas.edu. And the Center for Study of Race and Democracy is on Facebook as well. This podcast was recorded at the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.